Hello, my friends. Welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Life Over Coffee, and I am Rick Thomas, and I'm so glad that you are here. I want to take you out into the deep weeds in this podcast. I want to share with you a a case study, someone who has sinned and they just can't get over it. Now, perhaps you are that person. There are a lot of people like that. In fact, I have talked to so many people in my life And I'm talking about folks who are 45, 55 years old, and they look in the rearview mirror, and they they see the sin that they have committed, and they they just can't fathom the idea that God can use them or use them in despite what they did. And so this is a big issue. There are some people that do live under the cloud of their past mistakes. Now, maybe you did something wrong yesterday and you're still struggling with it. Well, that's pretty common. What about last week or last month? What about a decade ago? Now, the farther you go out time-wise into your past and you're still struggling with what you did, well, there's something wrong. And so I have some good news for you in this podcast. I trust that it will help you as you think about it. For those of you who do the work of disciple making, well, maybe this will be something that will benefit you as well. I have a number of embedded links. I have the show notes, of course, and then I have a short eight-minute video that's here as well. The title of the video here is... um, Victory over true guilt, defeating false guilt. Now, it's a short video. It's a shorter version of our our one-hour webinar, and I've got some great news for you, especially if you're struggling one way or the other, true guilt, false guilt. You can watch that one-hour webinar. As some of you, many of you know by now, we are moving. We are in process of moving our resources out into the public domain. I am giving away my life's work, my intellectual property. I'm putting it on the porch. Anyone can come by and and pick it up. We're giving our resources away freely to all. We are rolling the sovereign dice, hoping that Uh, praying that God will bring those underwriters by, those people that will, they believe in what we're doing and they want to get behind us and underwrite the ministry financially. Uh, By the way, Carrie from Texas, thank you so much for your $100 annual support. I appreciate you doing that yesterday. I know Josh talked with you, our customer relation team member. He tries to chat with our supporters and get their prayer request and learn more about them. And it helps us to do what we do more effectively. And I just want to say thank you so much for your kindness. Uh, as Josh reported back, he said, she, Carrie, that you really appreciate what we are doing and you want to help. I cannot say thank you enough. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate what you are doing because it is allowing us to give our stuff away. It's emboldening us to, we know that we are on the right path by helping so many more people by making it free to all without requiring them to give us anything. And that is a cool thing. And that's why we have our full length webinars, our one hour plus webinars, all of them now are out in the public space. We created a video channel, a video page. We have 16 channels on that page, and you can go to the seminar channel, and you can watch all of our one-hour webinars freely. And so thank you, Carrie, for making that happen. Sybil, I want to thank you as well. She sent a note. She said, I just 
wrote a message expressing my thanks for all you do and for your resources. They have been helpful to me. Sybil, thank you so much for your kind note, and also thank you for supporting our ministry. And then Karen wrote in, she sent in a Thanksgiving card in very small font. She wrote a lot of stuff, and I put on my special glasses, and Karen, I read every word, and I was so encouraged by each word as you shared part of your story and how God is using this ministry. She even wrote out several of her all-time favorite articles, and that was cool to see. And so, Karen, thank you for taking the time to actually send a beautiful card and to write on it and just sharing your heart with us. I'm, I'm very appreciative, and thank you, too, for supporting our ministry. And then Renee, she wrote in. Renee, we had lunch with her and Lori, uh, another one of our supporters, and Renee wrote in, and she said this. They're in Bozeman, Montana, by the way, and if you haven't been to Bozeman, you need to put that on your bucket list because it's drop-dead gorgeous no matter which way you turn. But Renee wrote this. She said, thank you, Rick, for this detailed explanation. She's talking about a video that I did. I'm I'm thanking God for you this morning that God has given us men and women of faith to help believers to think through our daily lives. I'm blessed because of you. Thank you. And say hi to your wife. That would be Lucia. So hello, Lucia. Renee, thank you also for stopping by and taking the time. We're all very busy people, and I, I get that. I understand busy. It's one of the things that I do very well. I keep myself busy, and when someone stops to write to say thank you, I do want to acknowledge that because that's a deal. That's a big deal. And so, Renee, thank you for your note. Karen, thank you. Sybil, thank you. Carrie, thank you as well. Now, for those of you who are are struggling, I, I do want to I won't get into some deep weeds, and there is a faith factor about what I'm sharing with you, because once you step off into the mysteries of God, well, finitude kicks in, and it is not possible for the finite mind to fully grasp the infinite one, and so we have to do the best we can, and we work with what we have, and and honestly, it really doesn't matter whether you're talking about God or sitting on a stool. It takes faith to do that, and we're not going to know the molecular structure and, and how Uh, All of that works together to be able to molecules come together where you can sit on a stool, but we will sit on that stool and we do it by faith. Well, in a similar fashion, we're not going to know all the mysteries of God. There are things that we just embrace by faith, and that's the way life is. We live by faith in everything that we do because we are not omniscient beings. And so I want you to know that we are going to go into the deep weeds, but I do believe that this will help you because so many of us do live under the cloud of guilt because of the actions that we have done in our past, and I just want you to know that it can be okay. You don't have to put yourself in the perpetual penalty box because you did something wrong. There is a path forward. Well, of course, that's called repentance, but I don't want to come at it from the repentance angle in this podcast. If you want to read about repentance and how to change, well, I mean, that's what we <laughs> that's what we are about. So we have a a ton of resources on how to change, but I want to take another slice, another angle, and I want to share this news with you that even though you may have done something that you deeply regret, God can use 
sin sinlessly. God can use what you have done, and he can use it in a redemptive way, and you have to believe that. You can't live in paralysis, always down on the mat, self-flagellation, beating yourself up because of what you have done wrong. You don't want to embrace the mantle of victimhood. Not only can you repent, but there's more to the story. Even if you do blow it big time or blow it repeatedly, God can take a broken narrative and use it in a fantastical way. My first 25 years of my life affirms what I'm telling you. The ministry that I have, the larger portion of my life has in part has been so good because the first part was so screwed up that God took the brokenness of my past and he has flipped it on his head or maybe flipped it right side up and he's using in part that broken narrative all the mistakes I made all the anger all the sinning he's using it in a remarkable redemptive way God can do that because he's God. And so if you want to read the show notes to this podcast, it is episode 272. The title of it is How to Navigate God's Decreed Will, Moral Will, and Messy Will. And I'm going to explain that as I move along here. But Messy Will, I created that one. That's mine. It's registered. Not really. Now, perhaps you have said this before, and it's not mine, but I haven't heard it before, the best that I can remember, so I am claiming it until somebody stands up and say, Rick, I've used that all the time. God's messy will. And so this is episode 272, How to Navigate God's Decreed Will, Moral Will, and Messy Will. Let me set it up this way. All of us have transgressed God's moral law. We've made mistakes. We have sinned. To transgress means we have stepped across the line. The line is good and evil. We are to stay on the good side of the line, but when we transgress, we step over the line, we sin, we offend God, we offend others, we make mistakes for all of sin. And so we all have transgressed God's moral law. And for different reasons, some of these people who do transgress do live in the victimhood of their sinful choices that they have made. They live under the cloud. They are Eeyore. They're negative. They, they are pessimistic. They, they are blue. And they are paralyzed from moving forward. They are unable to understand how God can use sin sinlessly. In essence, they see what they did as more controlling, more powerful, and more narrative influencing than God's ability to transcend and circumvent their sinful actions. What they do is they are confusing and conflating God's sovereign will, which I'm saying decreed will, with his moral will, They are confusing and conflating that. To conflate is to bring it together, and they mix it up, and it becomes confusing to them. Those are two different things, God's sovereign will and our moral will. And Biff, well, he's he's one of those people. Karen said in her 
letter to me, her Thanksgiving card that she wrote. She said, I just love the stories of Biff and Mabel. And so, Karen, I'm bringing Biff back out for you. And thank you so much for letting me know that. There's a lot of people that love Biff and Mabel. One lady in, in Florida, she said, I think we are Biff and Mabel. Well, I don't know about that, but thank you for the encouragement anyway. All right, so let me let me walk through what Bill's problem is. Living under the cloud, unable to see how God can use mistakes he has made in a redemptive, remarkable, positive way. When I'm talking about the decreed will in this podcast, I realize that is a complex subject. There are books and hours of seminars, lots of preaching done on the decreed will. I am not going to get into that. That's another discussion for another day. All I'm really talking about is God's omniscience, his sovereignty, similar to what he told Jeremiah, before I formed you, I I called you to be a prophet into the nations. I'm saying that God knows all things, and I'm saying that God is sovereign, that he rules over all things. God is not a learner. God doesn't learn anything. He doesn't add to his knowledge. He is knowledge. Therefore, God knows everything that we're going to do before we do it. And so when I talk about God's decreed will in the context of this podcast, I'm really just talking about his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his sovereignty. And so I'm taking that, his sovereign will, and I'm I'm juxtaposing it against his moral will. That's where we live. And so you could say that this is a tension between sovereignty and human responsibility. God knows all things before all things happen. And then within that, we have a a moral will. We have an obligation. We are not robots. We live in relationship with God. And so therefore, we have decisions that we make. And sometimes we make bad decisions. And so the question that we have to ask in, in this podcast is that when we make bad decisions, we break the moral law, can God use it for his fame? I am saying that he can. Now, Biff doesn't believe that. Now, there's a reason that Biff does not believe that God can use his past mistakes redemptively. He has a hard time with that, and that's why he's paralyzed. That's why he can't move forward. That's why he lives in some some shade of despair. That's why he's somewhat negative, negative and Eeyore-ish. One of the things when you're counseling somebody like this, you want to find out, how did you get this way? Why are you this way? And so let me give you a few bullet points to Biff's childhood, and you will understand why this 45-year-old man, I'm just making that up, even though it's very common for a 45- or a 50-year-old man or woman to be paralyzed by the sin of their past. And so when you're helping this person, what you want to do is to to find out, well, why are you this way? And when I lay out these bullet points, you're going to see it quite clearly. As a child, Biff was under the tutelage of a domineering authoritative dad. Guess how that went? A dominating authoritative dad. You can also upload anger into that, and you can upload that his daddy never made any mistakes because he was a domineering authoritative man who never owned his mistakes, but yet he had a reason for his mistakes, and his reason was his little boy 
Biff was the blame for everything that went wrong. And then Biff, as a kid, became a good student in the sense that when things went wrong, he began to believe the lie. If you say something over and over again, especially to a young child, well, they will take that on. Biff's daddy gaslit him, and he convinced him that whenever anything went wrong, Biff was the cause of it. And this perspective became Biff's worldview. It is the glass, the lens. It is the plate glass window through which Biff looked through to see and interpret life. And so you can see how this early shaping influence became a life-dominating sin for Biff. When he looked through the window into the world, he saw himself as being at fault whenever things went wrong because his daddy trained him that way. And then as an adult, God miraculously regenerated Biff, and Biff loved God, and God loved Biff. But guess what? Though his life changed dramatically, there was this overbearing presupposition that did not convert to his Christianity. What I'm saying here is what Paul said in Ephesians 4.22, he brought his former manner of life into his salvation experience. By the way, we did that too. We all do that. That's why Paul tells us to put off the former, the old man, that, that former manner of life that is deceived and, and corrupt. I brought 25 years of my former manner of life into my Christian experience. This is why we have progressive sanctification. We have to, after regeneration, we step into this long process of progressive sanctification because we bring all that junk into our Christian experience. And Biff brought in this penalization, this accusation, this this guilt complex that his daddy put on him. And so when things went wrong, it was tough for Biff to distinguish between actual guilt, I mean, did I really do it, or false guilt, Both of those things hardly mattered because they were the same. True guilt is when you're at fault for the transgression. I mean, you really did do it, and it really is your fault. False guilt is when you blame yourself for what went wrong, whether you were wrong or not. But because of this life-dominating, shaping influence, it didn't matter. True guilt, false guilt. Biff was guilty according to his presupposition. And that's why I have this eight-minute video here. If you want to watch, I think it would be beneficial for many of you to watch this, to learn about uh, true guilt, false guilt, and how to distinguish, how to work through it. And then if you want to go on our video channel, one of our 16 video channels, the one that has the webinars, you can watch the full-length webinar. And you can thank Carrie and, and Karen and Sybil for that. And so please, please do. The decreed will of God, again, it's just, it's just one way to talk about God's omniscience, his omnipresence, his, <clears throat> excuse me, his omnipotence. As I used, as I was talking about in the Jeremiah text, that God knew that Biff was going to sin. He knew that he was going to make a mistake. And so it's not possible for any of us to function outside of God's sovereign, predetermined rulership. But we are not robots. We are not robots. We're in a relationship with him. And so within 
God's sovereignty and his eternal under his eternity past understanding of what we were going to do in the future, we're still not robots. We we make choices. And of course, Biff has a hard time again understanding how a wrong choice can be used in a a powerful redemptive way. This is his life dominating, shaping influence. You want to make sure that you can separate God's sovereignty, his eternal purposes. You want to separate it from his moral will. Not only do you separate them, but you also prioritize them. You can think of it as God's sovereign will, as as being above all things, all things, hovering over all things. And then his moral will, it operates underneath God's sovereign will. And so you can see an implication here of there's a parallelism. In fact, you see it quite clearly in Genesis 50, 20, where Joseph basically said this, definitely by implication, talking to his brothers, ye meant it for evil. He's talking about God's moral will. You broke God's moral will, you my brothers. But then Joseph says that God meant it for good. And so we see God's sovereign will, his declarative will happening at the same time as these men, his brothers, Joseph's brothers, are doing evil. You see the parallelism, but you want to make sure that you prioritize it. Because if you put what you do over God's sovereignty, then your sin becomes the, that's where the accent mark is, and your sin will dominate your life, not God's sovereignty. And so you don't want to flip those two things. That's what Biff did because he sees his mistakes. I said this earlier. I said that, Biff, let me go up and find it. He sees what he did as more controlling, more powerful, and more narrative influencing. And if what you did is more controlling, more powerful, and more narrative influencing, well, then you have it flipped upside down. You have the breaking of God's moral law over and above his sovereignty you can't do that. And one of the ways that Biff supports his twisted theology is he talks about consequences. And, and he said, well, you know, I did bad, and here's the consequences for it. So it kind of proves, you know, his theory. And he uses David from a consequential perspective. Now, he's right in a way. Yeah, David sinned. He committed adultery. He had Uriah killed. And so he was basically... He didn't murder him, but he had him murdered. That's bad, heavy stuff. And there were consequences to pay, and we know that David struggled. Uh, he, he had to pay under that consequential perspective. And so in that way, Biff is right. But what Biff is not seeing is that his dad has trained him to only think about negative consequences. And that's why Biff is paralyzed. He sinned. There's a consequence for it, and I'll just be in the penalty box for the rest of my life. You could probably you could diagnose Biff this way in five points. Point number one, Biff sins. And in this case, we're going to say it's an actual sin. It's true guilt. Number two, Biff's life-dominating shaping presupposition kicks in. His daddy training kicks in. I have sinned. Now my presupposition kicks in. Point number three, Biff blames himself. 
for what he did. Then point number four, Biff, like Eeyore, wallows in his mistakes. This is where the paralysis comes in. And then point number five, Biff constructs reasons for not moving moving forward, for not getting off the mat, for not doing anything because, well, I sinned, I, I screwed up, and so, well, there we go. And so my that's more narrative influencing, that's more controlling, that's more powerful then perhaps there's another story that maybe God is using sin sinlessly. And so, yeah, I will agree with you. There are adverse consequences for sins that you commit. But let me give you a powerful positive illustration of God using sin sinlessly. That's the cross of Christ. Because of some bad decisions of a few folks standing on Golgotha's hill, Christ died on the cross. A few folks made a very bad decision. They broke God's moral law. They did what they should not have done. They crucified Christ. And so I I see this like Biff in that that is very negative. That's very wrong. And there's consequences to pay for the decisions that they made. But I also see a redemptive purpose here. Let me hit both of those, the negative consequence and the positive consequence. The negative consequence for those sinful men, it probably did not turn out too well for them. They reaped their wicked sowing. But there was also a positive consequence. For Christians, it was the only way to heaven. Christ had to die. We reap from their wicked sowing. And so there is a redemptive purpose through the sinful agency of humankind. There were negative and positive results of their sin. God decreed that bad stuff would happen. We learn this in Isaiah 53. It was the will of God to crush his son, and he used sinful men to accomplish his purpose. And so we see the parallelism again. The sovereignty of God is always in play, above, higher, superintending, managing, decreeing. And then we see the morality of men doing good, doing evil. Peter said this in his great sermon in Acts 2, 23. He said this, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. There it is, sovereignty. And then he says in the same sentence, You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. There's the parallel in play. Can God use sin sinlessly? Yeah, yeah. Now, I would be a fool to think that I could satisfactorily explain all of this to anyone in the depth that it needs and in a way that can make everyone believe what I'm saying here. But I do understand it as much as my fallen, finite, pea-brain mind permits me to do so. I have faith in the goodness of God, and that's what fills in the finite gaps of my understanding. And by the way, that's how I process everything, as I said earlier. I mean, whether you sit on a stool or, or trust God, we do that by faith. We don't have, we're not omniscient. And so I might not be able to satisfy many of you by what I'm saying here, but I do know that what I'm saying is true. I, I believe it by faith. And so what about Biff? Let's say he did sin like those wicked men on Golgotha's Hill. Let's say he was outside of God's moral will. I have been there many times. 
then you can be outside of God. You can be outside of God's moral will, but not outside of His divine plans. You can be outside of one, but always inside the other. It's possible to be outside of His moral will. You break the law. You sin. You transgress. But inside His predetermined will. Those men at the cross that day were outside God's moral will, but they were inside his sovereign plans. Thus, the Lord is working his plan in Biff's life, even though Biff is stumbling through life imperfectly. Let me wrap up this podcast with one more thing. Perhaps there was a man at the crucifixion. He was part of Christ's death. And he later repented of his acts. Let's say that that man came to you. He sinned. He transgressed God's moral law. How would you counsel him? Well, I would counsel that man the same way I would counsel Biff. Okay, you sin. You transgress God's moral law. Stop looking in the rearview mirror about breaking God's moral law. Sinning against the Savior in this case, if I'm talking about that man at Golgotha's Hill. Stop looking in the mirror about breaking God's moral law and recognize that the Lord is working His plan through your mistakes. The title of the podcast is episode 272. How to navigate God's decreed will. I'm talking about sovereignty here. His moral will. Remember the parallelism. It is inside God's sovereign will and God's messy will. If you're like Biff, it can get really messy. I trust this helps. If you want to talk, please jump on our free forums and and let's chat. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.